Hi, I'm Tyler Harris, and you're listening to the latest episode of Down in the Weeds. Today, we're talking with Bob Hartzler, Iowa State University professor and extension weed specialist. And since we're approaching the end of 2020, we're going to be discussing managing the weed seed bank and starting clean and keeping fields clean in 2021. Uh, Bob, since we're recording this in the middle of November, I, I guess I wanted to start with what growers dealt with this year in in Iowa and other parts of the Midwest. I mean, I'm located in Nebraska, and although I grew up in Iowa, I'm not. I'm a little bit out of touch with what's going on with weed management and herbicide resistant weeds in Iowa. What what are we kind of seeing after this year's? Because Iowa saw a lot of dry conditions as we did in Nebraska, but also some derecho winds as well. So were, were there any particular weed species that that we saw kind of popping up this year. I know we're, we're hearing a lot of talk about volunteer corn as well going into 2021. Yeah, there's no doubt volunteer corn is going to be a big issue in the areas affected by derecho. But other than that, you know, the same driver weeds are, are going to be there in 2021. For, for most Iowans, it's going to be uh, water hemp. But we do have other farmers that Horseweed or mare's tail will be their number one issue. That'd be, you know, growers in a no-till system. And then in some parts of the state, growers are really struggling with giant ragweed. And and so that's really the the first step is identifying what the number one and two weed problems are in your field and make sure you're developing a program that targets those problem weeds. Yeah, absolutely. That, that, that's a huge part of an integrated weed management plan. And I guess I, kind of looking at that, one of the things that we always kind of deal with a little bit, and I'm sure is the same in Iowa, but winter annuals are, it seems like, as we've had some more mild winters, we have henbit and pennycrest show up more and more often. As, as we're kind of looking to early spring, and this this I think is probably not just beneficial for managing winter annuals but summer annuals as well especially with those that have a fairly long germination range what should growers consider as far as a spring burn down program if they haven't done say a fall burn down program one of iowa's many benefits over missouri's not not that i have anything against missouri but uh, (laughs) is with our cooler growing season the the winter annuals aren't quite the issue they are as in states south of us or as you move west but or move east i mean and so but we are seeing more and more growers especially in north central iowa you know shifting towards no-till soybean and so those growers who have used tillage in the past you know are not accustomed to dealing with winter annuals now it's usually going to take a few years for winter annuals to build up to a troublesome population but for those growers that are in no-till, you know, it's really important to be scouting the fields after harvest to see what type of infestation is present. And if they have a heavy uniform infestation, fall applications may be one of the best approaches to dealing with that. And that's especially true with mare's tail because it can be much more difficult to control in the spring than some of the other winter annuals. So scouting fields in the fall to determine whether there's a benefit to that fall application, you know, that's really the, the first step to, to starting clean. If the infestation in the fall doesn't look that significant, then they need to be out scouting early spring to see what has developed and whether or not 
applications prior to planting are needed. And, and if we're talking about starting clean and then staying clean in 2021, and this is going to be different for every grower and probably every field, but what options might growers consider if they are already facing issues with something like, say, herbicide-resistant palmer amaranth, and we talked about water hemp and mare's tail as well, and giant ragweed, and some of these other weeds that are resistant to at least one mode of action, in many cases more than one, how can we make sure that we're getting some of those overlapping residuals down in terms of knowing what it is we have and what it is we have resistant to? And also, of course, as a follow-up to that, how can growers work with if they don't aren't applying themselves with how can they work with their applicator or their cooperative to make sure that that those pre's and posts those overlapping residuals are applied in a timely manner right so yeah starting with the clean field is is number one and so if you're in a no-till system you need to make sure that no-till or that burn down herbicide is applied prior to planting the crop we have a lot of people like to get it out a couple weeks ahead of planting, and in that case, we include a residual herbicide to increase the, the likelihood of that pre-emergence product getting activated before the weeds start to emerge. So, and then if you're using tillage, then time that last tillage operation as close to planting as possible, and, and getting a pre-emergence product down after that tillage to make sure the crop is planted into a clean seed bed. Because if those weeds are emerging at the same time that you're planting, you're gonna be behind the eight ball the rest of the growing season. And as you mentioned, knowing what herbicides your weeds are resistant to is critical. And for growers in Iowa, Missouri, water hemp, or as you move south, Palmer amaranth, that is the, the big problem just because of the multiple resistance. And it's not always easy knowing exactly what those weeds might be resistant to, but the best way is to scout the field, usually about two weeks after the last application, and, and see if there are any weeds in that field that are surviving that application that you feel should have been controlled. And if they are surviving, that's a possibility you're dealing with a new resistant biotype. So paying attention to how individual products are working is, is critical so you know what resistances you might have. In terms of the, the layered residual, that's becoming much more common, and it's a great approach to extend control later in the season. And that's what we need when dealing with water hemp and palmer amaranth because of that prolonged emergence pattern. And switching to that layered residual, it, it requires a change in timing of the post applications. Historically, we tried to delay that post application as long as possible so that we could have as many weeds emerge before we spray it yeah. as possible. But you know, you always want to get out there before the weeds get more than three or four inches in size, but still we're delaying it as long as we can. With the layered residual, we want to be applying our post product and the accompanying pre-emergence product, you know, one of the group 15 herbicides, whether it's Warrant, Sidua, a metolachlor product, what have you, we want to be applying that product while the first pre is still active. So that's typically maybe three weeks after planting, which is would be earlier than most people do it. Hopefully there's not going to be a lot of weeds out there. Uh, that means the pre is still working. 
And so your post product, whatever product you're using post, can finish off anything that slipped through that initial pre, and then that layered product can get activated before your first residual wears out. So with a layered residual, it's a change in mindset, apply it early, more on the calendar rather than if without the layered residual, we oftentimes waited based it on size of the weeds. But with a layered residual, it's more of a calendar, typically about three weeks after planting. Yeah, so it's kind of a paradigm shift there that we're looking at, a little bit of a change in mindset. I wanted to ask, and, and, and I don't know, are there some options that growers can be looking at for tank mixes or pre-mixes if they are dealing with some of those weeds that might be resistant to one or more modes of action? And of course, that's going to be different for every grower that we're talking about, as we mentioned. But how, if if they are in that situation where they might be evaluating what those options are, how can they go about finding the right modes of action, the right mixes for their fields? Yeah. So, so first off, is trying to identify what resistances you might have in the field, because that can eliminate some of the options. And talking with your dealer probably can give give some good information because they're going to be familiar with what resistances are in the neighborhood. And so some growers might still be able to use a PPO inhibitor or a group 14 herbicide, something like Cobra or a Reflex. And that would be, you know, an option for a lot of growers, but other growers, they might realize, well, I'm pretty sure I have resistance to that, that group of products. And so then they're looking at one of the transgenic crops, whether it's going to be Extend, Enlist, or Liberty. So really, you know, understanding what resistances are in your field, without that knowledge, you're shooting blind. Yeah. And so with the widespread resistance, a lot of growers probably are going to be down the lane of using one of these a resistant traits that locks you into either dicamba 2,4-D or Liberty. And so those products are going to provide us effective control, but we want to limit how much of that water hemp population is exposed to that. Because if, if we just shift to putting our primary reliance on those products, we're going to get resistance to them as quickly as possible. So that's the, the theory of the layered residual is we have the pre-emergence product controlling the majority of the population and our post-product, whether it's Liberty, Enlist, or Extendamax, Ingenia, what have you, that is controlling the weeds that slip through those pre-products and hopefully reducing the likelihood of selecting resistance to those pre-products and hopefully that pre is controlling enough of it that we have a very low likelihood of resistant individuals to those post products being there. Yeah, absolutely. So it, so it is a, a total total shift in how we're looking at weed control now. Yeah, and and I think that's absolutely you know that's especially important as we look at soybeans where we have fewer options for post applications. And it's kind of interesting because it sounds like you know since we saw this year we saw the canceled registration of of three dicamba products. And then later, here recently, we saw the registration of three dicamba products, including, I think it was two that had been canceled by the EPA. And there are risks, obviously, that come with using these products in soybeans, but it sounds like 
that's something that's going to be a valuable tool in the grower's toolkit for, for controlling some of these glyphosate resistant weeds as they're looking for some of those options for, for post-herbicide applications. Right, and that's we have to protect them in all ways possible. One, we have to protect them from resistance, and then with the dicamba, and we have the same concerns with 2,4-D, is about off-target movement. Yeah. And that's one of the advantages of that layered residual approach. It does get us applying to products earlier in the season when temperatures are cooler, sensitive vegetation is not quite as at a susceptible stage, so there's multiple benefits there. I, I kind of wanted to shift gears, Bob, and talk, because we're talking about an integrated weed management approach, and, and I wanted to talk about some things that growers can do regarding, especially if we're looking at soybeans, kind of encouraging canopy closure a little bit earlier. As, you know, as growers kind of prepare for 2021, what, what are some things that they might consider to help. I mean, in Nebraska, we hear the term green to the eye by the 4th of July to kind of encourage that canopy closure earlier due to earlier planting. Is that something that the growers might consider in Iowa as well? I'm sort of torn on using planting date for canopy closure. I think most growers, they're going to plant as soon as fields are fit. And you understand that because with our soils, there's always a risk of it's starting to rain the first week of May and then shut off until June. And so our growers are gonna, I think, are gonna plant when things are, are ready and, and that's fully understandable. Where I think we could promote holding off on planting is growers that are trying to incorporate cover crops in for weed suppression. And with our short growing season, if we want that cover crop to help us suppress weeds, we, we need to be delaying planting to allow that normally cereal rye to accumulate enough biomass to suppress weeds. But otherwise, get in there, plant when it's available, but make sure you use that full rate of pre-emergence product to extend the control uh, later in the season. But narrow rows, we have probably more 30-inch rows than any other state in the soybean producing region and there's reasons for that but growers who are really struggling maintaining full season water hemp control I, I think you know row spacing needs to be something to look at because that is going to have more effect on date of canopy closure than any other factor and there's reasons why growers don't go to 30 inch rows but as we continue to struggle with weed management I think that needs to rise in their level of priorities. Yeah, and there has been, you know, some research looking at narrow row soybeans as a part of a fully integrated weed management plan. So it certainly sounds like something that would be a valuable option for those that have it available, if, if that's something they want to look at. Right. And I'm glad you brought up cover crops because that was the last thing I was going to ask about, Bob, was is we're looking at that as an option for cover cropping to kind of essentially to keep the ground covered and kind of keep the soil cooler, preventing the weed seed bank from from growing and, and weeds from emerging. What have we seen, I guess, in Iowa surrounding cover crops and their potential for helping to manage that weed seed bank? Yeah, I, I think there, there's a huge potential, but it's not as simple as harvesting your corn, spreading some rye seed, and then going forward as if nothing else has changed. It, it's, a, it's, it's part of a system. 
and the growers who are really taking advantage of the cover crops in terms of wheat management, they're looking at hybrid and variety selection, maybe going to shorter season varieties so that they can get the corn out a little earlier, giving more time to get that rye planted, and then holding off on planting beans until mid to late May to allow that biomass. So there's lots of reasons why growers are, are going to cover crops. Environmentally, they're great. But to get that benefit for weed management, it, it takes a lot more than just simply going green and having the rye out there in the field. You need to look at all aspects of the system. And it takes some changes that some growers might be reluctant to do because it could influence the yield potential of the crop. And that's that obviously is priority number one for a lot of growers. Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of uh, evaluating of what the growers' goals are and what their expectations are overall. And if it is something where they're really trying to get a handle on managing weeds and suppressing weeds, then that needs to factor in what, what, what they're looking at as far as cover crop establishment and termination and what their expectations might be for their corn yields, you know, if they're looking at a shorter season hybrid so they can get rye in the ground earlier. So that's a really good point. Right. Yeah, we, we've been blessed that in terms of weed management for the past 30 years, all we had to think about was, okay, what herbicide am I going to use? But those days are coming to an end because of the spread of resistance. And so for the majority of farmers, the, the herbicides still are going to be number one for controlling weeds, but they need to look, how else can I put some selection pressure on those weed populations to slow down this evolution of resistance and I think cover crops is one approach that it's not easy but it fits the system better than a lot of other options. Absolutely. Well thanks so much for joining us today Bob. Listeners can learn more in upcoming print articles in Nebraska Farmer and Wallace's Farmer. Be sure to follow Nebraska Farmer on Facebook at facebook.com slash Nebraska Farmer Magazine and Twitter at Neb Farmer Mag and thanks for listening to Down in the Weeds.